1620. Welcome to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. Hope you are having a great Saturday. We're going to have a great Saturday here, bringing you up to speed on everything that's going on in the world of pop culture and entertainment. Joining me on the line to do just that, as he does so often, from the Movies Are Terrible channel on YouTube, please welcome Jeremy Branch. Thank you for having me back, sir. Always, always fun. And I know we got a we got an exciting show planned for everybody today. I have been a long-haired hippie for the last several months with quarantine and stuff going on, but I wanted to give a shout-out to my guy, Coy Glass, and the entire crew over there at East Hill Barbershop in Pensacola. They got me tightened up. So if you're in the Pensacola area and you're looking for a good place to get your hair cut, not an official sponsor, but those dudes are great over there. So uh, Pensacola, it's East Hill Barbershop. Nice, nice. Uh, it's uh, good to hear that you are finally cleaned up because uh, that, uh, that was getting scary. It was, yeah, it was a little out of control. So uh, <laughs> it was actually for you. So I'm glad you appreciate it. Well, you know, yeah, I, I do. Anytime, you know, anybody wants to make themselves pretty for me, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in favor of that. <laughs> well, this took a sudden turn. Uh, no, that's all right. It's all good. So, uh, so Jeremy, uh, we're getting closer and closer to the Suicide Squad movie. And when I say that, the movie is called The Suicide Squad, not Suicide Squad 2 or anything like that. Uh, because we, uh, there was another Suicide Squad movie, as we know, but we don't talk about that. We, we, we try not to talk about that because it wasn't very good. Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't terrible either. It's, people make it out like it was the worst movie ever. It, it, other than Jared Leto, it wasn't the worst movie ever. Jared Leto was the worst ever, though. Uh, but So we've got this new movie coming out. It's kind of a soft reboot. We've got some of the characters coming back, but uh, James Gunn taking over this and... and you know, for me, this has been the thing I've been most looking forward to because I love James Gunn. I love the concept of the Suicide Squad. I love these characters, and uh, I can't wait to see what he's doing with them. We've had a couple of things happen in the, in the past couple of weeks that uh, that are worth talking about. First of all, last week we got a new trailer, uh, which uh, which showed us just a little bit more of what's going on in the film. Did you get a chance to watch that, Jeremy? I have intentionally not watched it because I'm excited enough about the movie. I know I'm all in. I thought the first trailer was awesome, so I'm just like, all right, let's go. Let's get to it. Like you said, I'm super enthusiastic about it. Okay, so you're you're trying to avoid uh, as much as uh, of any spoilers as you can or anything like that. Not that there's usually any spoilers in a trailer. I mean, sometimes there are, but I, I, I don't think there are any in this particular trailer. Uh, I, I was interested in this one. I think it, it focused a little bit more on Idris Elba's character, Bloodsport, who we haven't seen a whole lot about yet. So that was kind of cool. And, uh, man, yet another King Shark joke that just had me rolling, man. Uh, there's there's just um, – I won't give it away because you can just watch the trailer. It's the, the last thing in the trailer. Uh, it's almost like a, a post-credits to the trailer because, the, you know, you get the, the titles come up and then there's one more little scene after the titles. Uh, and um, – Man, I just I think that's going to be the break. I think King Shark's going to be the breakout character of this movie. Uh, I I just I have very little doubt of that. There's just so much there. There's so so much there, and yet so little. It's you know, yeah. It's it's the character that literally twice now has had me rolling on one word. 
So, you know, we, we all saw the, the, the one in the previous show, like hand. Yeah, yes, that's your hand. <laughs> yes. uh, th there's, there's another one word, uh, one word line in this one that just, oh man, I, I see it. Jeremy, you got to watch it just for that. I yeah. think I might have lied to you because I'm starting to realize Amanda Waller is talking to death guy. Uh, I can't remember. What's his name? Bloodsport. Bloodsport. So Amanda Waller is talking to Bloodsport about what he's doing, joining up with the Suicide Squad. It's like the rest of the team exists, and she's bringing him into the fold. So, right. Yeah. I yeah so then, you, then I, you did see the new one. So uh, so we're talking about. Uh, then since you have seen it, I'll go ahead and say you know the the uh, they're in the middle of a mission, and Flag gets on comms to ask one of the other team members what they see, and King Shark picks up his comms and says bird and he's like on the spot. and there's like a pigeon there or something it's not even like not even like it's a dangerous bird or a big bird or anything like that it's just a bird and he's reporting that he's seeing a bird and get off the comms i just oh man i must have laughed for five minutes at it and i'm not doing it justice you got to watch it but uh Oh yeah, that Stallone delivery. Um, did you watch The Flash on on CW? I'm uh, I'm a few episodes behind on The Flash. The reason why I ask is because this is the third version of King Shark that we've gotten in a couple years. Oh the yeah, I, first I've, on The Flash. Uh, yeah, I've seen the 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 version of King Shark on The Flash. Yeah, I don't think he's been. I don't know if he's popped back up in the last few episodes, but uh, but yeah, I've definitely seen that version, and it's a very different version. And then of course we've got the version on. Uh, on Harley Quinn, that's voiced by Ron yes. Funches, uh, and that's an a great take version. on the character. There's some other there's some other animated versions out there too. There's uh, if you uh, if you watch the DC animated films, um, and, and they they played the the version in that uh, quite quite well for some laughs too, because there's a, uh, a version. I now I haven't seen the the. No, that's not true. I did see the Suicide Squad movie, but then you know, there's a whole series of movies that they did that were taking place in the New Fifty Two continuity, and uh, they they've wrapped up that series now. They closed it out with uh, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, and this really was like the end of that universe. Like this whole movie was the end of that universe, and literally I like watch it. Yeah, oh, it's really good, and it's you know everybody, and kind of John Constantine is the central figure of the movie, but. Like everybody is in this movie, and they are not afraid to off characters left and right, uh, and and, oh, wow. and characters you are very familiar with do not survive this thing. But there's a bit where you know the the Suicide Squad shows up to help. What's left of the Suicide Squad shows up to help, and uh, you know they're like, "This is where we earn our name," and they're they're all battling. They've got these enhanced weapons, and uh, King Shark's teeth get enhanced. And uh, but that version of King Shark, the only words that he ever says is "King Shark is a shark." And oh wow! So <laughs> that's you know, a good. So thing. there you go. King Shark is a shark. That's you know, it's like an I am Groot kind of thing. Uh huh. And uh -huh. Uh, and it, it gets down to to the climactic the, the the climactic battle and like the last two people standing in this battle are Captain Boomerang and King Shark. And oh, wow. King Shark is a shark. And Captain Boomerang says, and Captain Boomerang is a bloody boomerang. <laughs> and he like starts telling him off. And then King Shark says, it's been an honor working with you. And Boomerang says, what? Oh, wow. <laughs> it's, oh, just, it's, it's hilarious. So, yeah, it, it, always a fun character. And the way, the way Ron Funches plays him on Harley Quinn, too, is just, you know, 
that's a completely different version of the character who is you know, actually pretty intelligent, but he goes into these, you know, these, these, uh, if he smells blood, he turns into, you know, a shark basically. Yeah. And, uh, it's pretty endearing. Yeah. So it's, it's a fun character, no matter the interpretation of the character, but I, I, there's just something about the way James Gunn is playing him, at least as, as far as we've seen in the trailers, that is, that is a whole lot of fun. So, um, my question to you is, have you noticed that they've got a big promotional tie-in coming up uh, where the cast and, and Gunn are going to appear on Wipeout? I think it's this weekend. Oh, yeah. I am so glad you brought this up. This is, this is kind of amazing to me. There is a, a self-awareness that James Gunn has that you have to assume that he knows how ridiculous this is, which makes it pretty awesome. Uh, what is your like just overall take on this situation? At I, first, have you ever watched Wipeout? I, I've seen little bits and pieces of it. I've never Same. sat down and watched an entire episode. But I mean, do you think they're competing, or do you think they're just going to show up? That's that's everything. That's the question because I want to see King Shark out there running the obstacle course. No. <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, that's that's a really good question. I, I want to see him compete. I get the impression from the commercial that like some of the cast is appearing like kind of by Zoom or whatever. But I I think mm. I think Cena's competing. Cena's got to be up in the mix. Yeah, I mean, yeah, which would be which would be pretty cool to see, but you know, we'll we'll see if that happens. Of course, you know, Cena's also getting his own HBO Max spinoff series with Peacemaker, so they've got a lot oh, of reasons yeah. to promote him and promote that character. But we'll we'll see what comes of it. Uh, we've got to take our first break. We'll be back in just a moment with more. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM Three and AM sixteen twenty. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host Julio Diaz. We've got Jeremy Branch on the line with us today from the Movies Are Terrible channel on YouTube. Jeremy, I, I had come back with a little bit of that because I got to talk about this new documentary that I just saw uh, called "The Summer of Soul" or "When When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised." Uh, and this is a, an amazing music documentary about. Uh, the Harlem Cultural Festival, which I think a lot of people, including myself, had never heard of before this documentary. This was a big music festival that took place in 1969, summer of 1969, same year as Woodstock. And perhaps just as stellar a lineup as Woodstock, but uh, took place in Harlem and was almost exclusively black acts that were performing. So you had uh, everybody from Stevie Wonder to Sly and the Family Stone, who you just heard there, to Gladys Knight and the Pips, 
uh, you know, so it had some gospel on there with Mahalia Jackson. You had some, some jazz, you know, basically all of the, uh, you know, all of the, the genres that kind of developed out of, out of black music, which, you know, which so did rock and roll by the way, but yeah, uh, you know, um, so they, they had this massive festival, 40,000, 50,000 people in a park in Harlem came out to, to attend this festival and uh, you know, just all this amazing music and it was just forgotten. And the whole thing, much like Woodstock, the whole thing was filmed and Woodstock got all this attention. There was the big movie and it was the, you know, it, it's still considered an iconic music festival, perhaps the iconic music festival. And the, uh, the folks that shot the Harlem festival, they couldn't sell it. Nobody, no, no distributor would buy it. They, they, these tapes sat in a basement for 50 years with nobody taking interest in them with all, with all these iconic performances and the, you know, the import, the cultural importance of this festival. And, and literally nobody would, nobody would buy it and turn it into a movie and screen it. And uh, until now, so now Questlove of the roots who, who we all know, you know, if you watch uh Jimmy Fallon show, he's the band leader of, of the roots, but you know, Above and beyond that, the Roots are just an amazing band, and if you ever get a chance to see them live, do it. I've seen them twice. They are oh, wow. they are incredible. Um, they're they're so much more than Jimmy Fallon's band. It's it's ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, so Questlove, who uh, we've mentioned on the show before too, is a has really become kind of a a mover and shaker in the music world. Period. You know, he's uh He's uh, gained a lot of influence on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominating committee, and he's uh, he's helped get some acts in that had been overlooked for a long time. And he's just somebody that that's you know, he's a he is a music guy. He is a music purist. You know, music is in his soul, and he uh, he loves all kinds of music. So for him to 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 take this and make this his directorial debut and do this documentary about this film. I think there's there's a lot going on here. I think it's a you know obviously that music was an influence on him, and and his career and you know is kind of at the heart of who he is, but uh, but ex- bringing that out and exposing that to the world I think is is very much who he is too. And man, this this documentary is just extraordinary because it's not just the great musical performance and they and they are there. I mean, there's. Literally, like I had goosebumps watching Sly and the Family Stone play Everyday People on this movie. A uh, couple, you know, a couple other times, you know, Nina Simone performing "Young, Gifted, and Black." Uh, oh, that just, you know, chills. And uh, Mahalia Jackson and and Mavis Staples singing gospel music together. Just, just you know, just some really incredible stuff. But above and beyond that, the the cultural context that he goes on to give, uh, you know, about what was going on while this festival was happening. He's, tra- you know, brought in, you know, I think a half dozen people that were there as attendees to, to talk about, you know, the experience and, you know, some some cultural commentators and things like that. People like, uh, you know, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda shows up in this movie as one of the the talking heads because there is uh, some, you know, crossover there with the the Afro-Puerto Rican community and there's some artists that performed there that, that – came from that there, you know, people forget about the Latin influence in Harlem, but that's definitely there too. And, um, you know, just, it's just an extraordinary movie and I, I really recommend you go see it. Now, the great thing is you got a choice. You can go see it in the theater. It's playing theaters right now, but it's also on Hulu. So you mm. can, you can, you can crank it up at home. If you've got a good sound system at home, 
uh, that might be the way to go. I I loved going to see this in the theater and seeing it in the big with the big screen and the big theatrical sound. But if you've got a good sound system in your house, uh, that that might be just as good. Uh, you know, I will probably watch this again just to enjoy the performances again. But really, it was a uh, you know, just the, like I said, the historical context of wh what was going on here was important too, because you had people that were all, you know, at this festival too, that have gone on to be, you know, big political figures or big, uh, big figures in religion. You know, Jesse Jackson was already a well-known preacher at the time, and he was kind of a disciple of Martin Luther King. And he was, uh, he was there on stage. You know, this is, remember too, this festival is coming on the heels of the assassinations of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and, uh, JFK and Bobby Kennedy and, you know, the, the whole civil rights movement that's going on, the moon landing happened during this festival. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's such a, a moment in time. That's a, it's mind blowing. Yeah. That I'm just hearing about it because like you said, I, uh, during the review, I, I wasn't aware of this happening. And I think that's a kind of great thing that's happening culturally right now is people are getting opportunities to tell stories that, for the longest time, it was just from one specific perspective. And I guess because of the moon landing, maybe because of Woodstock, all those things that just simply got overshadowed. But all of those acts that you name are so incredibly influential. And if I can say, kind of speak to one positive thing about music festivals these days, it's that they have to cater to everyone. So while there is, you know, a distinct difference between Voodoo Fest and Jazz Fest or so something like that, I, I feel like they're considering everyone and things aren't <laughs> segregated like they were in 1969. So the things that you couldn't see, I don't know, let's just pull bands out of the air, the roots and the shins at the same concert. I actually have seen the roots and the shins at the same festival. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I think this, I'm pretty sure the same year I want to say, uh, cause I saw I, bo both bands. I saw at the hangout music festival over in Gulf Shores. And uh, the Roots played twice, but I want to say the second the second year that they played, the Shins also played that year too. If they weren't, it was off by a year or so. But I have seen them both at that festival, and I've seen Mavis Staples at that festival too, and I've seen Stevie Wonder at that festival. So some of the acts that performed at the Harlem Cultural Festival have actually performed, you know, right over just a little bit to our to our uh, west and Gulf Shores on on the beach there, which is awesome. It um, is. But you know, for me, man, I'm I'm such a music guy, and I've I've always been so interested in music history, and I've read everything I can get my hands on, and I, you know, I pride myself on knowing a lot about the music world. For me to have never heard of this festival, really means that it was just buried. It really I, does. I, I mean, it's it's not even just that you know, it's not even just that it it was it's not just another festival, but it just was ignored. And just just forgotten, and it's crazy that it's forgotten. And there's there's one guy they talked to who was an attendee at the at the end of the movie. He he's the last talking head in the movie, and he's talking about well, this you know this confirms being able to see this. I'm not crazy. I did see this. This happened. Right. He's like, I knew I know I'm not crazy, but now I know I'm not crazy. And it's, it's you know just that in of itself is just so powerful, and just. I just, I mean, like I said, I, I definitely recommend everybody, you know, check this movie out. Uh, I'm going to recommend another music documentary for people to check out too. And I don't think it's playing locally anymore. Unfortunately it did, did play for a couple of weeks and I got to see it last weekend. And that's the Sparks brothers, which is a documentary about the band Sparks, uh, who 
who are made up of two brothers, uh, Ron and Russell Mail. And uh, this is a band that has been around for since the late 60s, has made uh, more than 25 albums, and has just had this incredible career, but they've, they've always been these kind of enigmas, and they've always kind of bounced around, and they've never quite had mainstream success in the U.S. I think the closest they've come to it is they did a song in the 80s called Cool Places that they did as a duet with Jane Weedland from the Go-Go's uh, that just kind of brushed up against the top 40 and was was got a lot of airplay on MTV. Uh, but this documentary is made by Edgar Wright, who we know uh, as a filmmaker from the uh, movies like Shaun of the Dead and Baby Driver. And uh, apparently Sparks are his favorite band. Now, they've had a lot more success in Europe uh, but they're one of those bands, too, that like are just an influence on a lot of other bands. So you have all these people uh, showing up in the movie as talking heads, everyone, everybody from Beck to Bjork, just talking about, you know, the influence that Sparks has had on them. Uh, and it's just it's a really well-made movie. Like I said, I think you've probably missed it in theaters locally at this point, but uh, I'm sure it'll be out on streaming and on uh, and on DVD, et cetera, eventually. Definitely check it out and check out some Sparks music if you get a chance. Uh, Let me ask you a question about this one specifically because you you and I are fans of Edgar Wright. I know you're a big fan of uh, of his work, and this is the first time I've heard of him doing a documentary. Can you still feel the the Edgar Wrightism of it? Is his directing style and his editing style still intact in a documentary, or did it just kind of feel like a documentary? I, I think I think so. I mean, there's some places where it feels like a documentary, but there's a lot of places where he plays with the narrative a little bit, and cool. uh, and and has some some fun little tricks. And yes, he did even find a way to get Simon Pegg and Nick Frost into the movie. So I love it. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. So. It's it's worth checking out if you're an Edgar Wright fan, but I think it's uh, it, I just really learned a lot about Sparks. It's a band that I've kind of always known was there, but didn't know much about. And some of that is kind of intentional because they kind of like being an enigmatic band, uh, and and they play with that a little bit in the movie too. But uh, you know, just really gained a new respect for that band. And uh, like I said, uh, you know, I, I think you probably missed your chance to see it locally, unfortunately. But as far as on the big screen. But in fact, I was literally the only person in the theater when I saw it. Uh, but it definitely, definitely worth checking out. Um, I just, you know, I guess I've been on that kick lately. Uh, you know, we've just had these two great music documentaries. And I, you know, I, I like documentaries in general, but I like music documentaries in particular. And it's great that we got to see the these two on the big screen. But, you know, hey, you know, we're actually running out of time for the segment. We'll be back with more in just a little bit. Listen, let's go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. I hope it doesn't show. It'll go away. It's just a passing phase. It'll go away. You can't just It calls. 
News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. Jeremy Branch is on the line with us from the Movies Are Terrible channel on YouTube. Uh, since we spent all that time talking about the, the Sparks Brothers documentary, had to come back in with a little bit of Sparks there, Angst in My Pants, one of their uh, their better-known songs. But, man, you know, I, I like I said, I, I, it wasn't just learning more about the band. It just was hearing all that music kind of gave me a new appreciation for it, too. There, it's a band that's made a lot of stylistic changes over the years, and that particular song is from, like, their early 80s period when they were kind of innovators on the the – the whole burgeoning new wave scene then. But I mean, again, this band goes back to the late sixties. So that was almost like the middle period for them. Uh, anyway, we, we'll move on from that, but I just had to, had to bring in a little bit of that music so everybody could hear it. Um, I wanted to, to move on Jeremy to uh, we've got a, a new trailer this week that they kind of just uh, stealth slipped out there for, uh, for Shang-Chi and the, the legend of the nine. Am I getting that right? The legend of the 10 rings. Is that the, yeah. yeah okay. Uh, so Shang-Chi and the Legend of the, the Ten Rings. Uh, Marvel snuck out a new trailer for that this week. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot to absorb in the trailer. You get to see a little more of what's going on with the, the movie. You get to see a little bit more about what's going on with, with Shang-Chi's dad. And, uh, oh, there's a dragon that shows up. But, uh, man, the thing that everybody's talking about is this just a little scene towards the end of the trailer. And we see uh, there's there's some kind of cage fighting tournament going on during the course of this movie that uh, we see Shang-Chi gets uh, wrapped up in. But what we really see, the big battle that everybody's talking about, doesn't even involve Shang-Chi. It involves two characters that we, we know already in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and one that we haven't seen since all the way back in, uh, what is it, 2000. 10 eight something like that literally the second marvel cinematic universe movie which was the incredible hulk uh second or third maybe iron man 2 came out first i'm 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 not 100 sure but uh yeah so we're going back to we we, it's the return of the abomination who we literally have not seen in years and years and years uh you know and i know that we're going to see coming up in the because it's been announced he's going to be in the she hulk series that's coming up uh, but, you know, character that we haven't seen and have barely seen reference to in years. And then he's fighting Wong. He's 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 fighting Doctor Strange's sidekick, which in some ways almost seems like a mismatch. But in some ways it doesn't. I don't know. I don't know. What, what do you what, what do you think about the fact that they're doing this? First of all, I mean, that is just gonzo to me. It really is. It really is. So I feel like I'm a, a kind of simple-minded person, Julio. I deconstruct myself a bit. So maybe maybe the simple fact that I have introspection makes me a little less simple. But I feel like the first Shang-Chi trailer, I was like, I'm not familiar with this stuff, so I'm going to try to draw some comparison to it. Oh, this looks like blank. Oh, this looks overly familiar. Uh, and then you show me the familiar thing that I know, and I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. Clapping my hands. This is great. So I don't know what that says about me or my taste, but it's like, oh, uh, I claim to want originality, but then you give me the thing that I liked in the first place, and I get super excited about it. What they don't show you in the Shang-Chi trailer is that right before Abomination gets into the ring with Wong, he ripped Danny Rand in half and just threw him through the cage. So right before the Wong fight. That's not true. (laughs) Don't believe anything Jeremy's telling you, ladies and gentlemen. It's it's all a lie. (laughs) That would be amazing. I, uh, but uh, 
It would be. It would be. But I didn't know it was long, Julio. That that was actually news to me. As I'm watching the trailer, I'm thinking, like, is this going to be a better Mortal Kombat movie than Mortal Kombat with the cage matches and stuff? So, well, there was yeah, a lot. Well, she said the mismatch, but definitely looks cool. There was a lot of question about that, and there was a lot of question. You know, the, people were even questioning whether it was the abomination, and they did change his look, the character's look a little bit, and he looks a little bit more comics accurate now. He's got the yeah. ears, which everybody. Uh, you know, is is just like the defining feature of that character in the comics. They've they've given him that in the movies now, which is great, uh, and it makes sense for a gamma irradiated character to evolve and change as time goes on. Certainly, the Hulk has, and and the movies that we've seen as well. Aside from the fact that you know Bruce Banner turned into Mark Ruffalo, yeah, and, and wasn't wasn't Edward Norton anymore. But uh, yeah, there were a lot of people questioning whether it was the abomination, but then there were people questioning whether that was Wong or not, too. And for in case you know, we're speaking a foreign language to hear, Wong is, you, you saw him in Doctor Strange, and then he was in uh, the two Avengers, the, the last two Avengers movies. And he's, um, for lack of a better term, Doctor Strange's sidekick. He's his uh, major domo or, or however you want to put it, but he is a, a powerful sorcerer in his own right. And uh, so while you see this little normal looking guy going up against this, you know, Hulk like behemoth in the abomination, and that's where it seems like a mismatch. Keep in mind, this guy's a a hugely powerful sorcerer and he's using his sorcery in this fight. So it's not quite as much of a mismatch as you might think. But yeah, so, you know, after this trailer came out, that was the, the cry on the Internet. Oh, my God, was that the abomination? Oh, my God, was that Wong? But Kevin Feige came out and said, yes, that's the abomination fighting Wong. So we, we do have con- confirmation from the head of Marvel that uh, th- that's some. Well, you know, I, I don't want to say that's something we're going to see in the movie because it's not like Marvel's never put a mislead in a trailer before. You're right. But I, I think that we're going to see that in the movie. I'd be very surprised if we weren't because I'd be very, very surprised if they put something like that in the trailer and then dogged out on us. You know, now everybody's going to be looking forward to that scene. So. And talk about misidentification, like uh, the moment that I saw that dragon underwater, I just, you know, being uh, peripherally aware with the Shang-Chi character and his comics and stuff, I was like, oh, that's that's being thing boom. It, it must be. And I don't think that theory ended up playing out the way that I thought it did. Yeah, there's some, there's some, you always get, one place you always get spoilers on these kinds of movies is when the toys start coming out. Yes. Uh, and and that's the, the spoiler with the dragon is that there is a toy of the dragon out. It's got the name of the dragon. It's like the great protector or something like that. I didn't think it was Fing Fang Foom just because he was not acting aggressively. Like he was there and he was, you know, there was a big presence. But I, I think Fing Fang Foom would have just been attacking everything in sight. He is he's not a nice guy. And besides, he didn't appear okay. to be wearing purple shorts. So. You know, That's the real dead giveaway. Yeah, yeah you know, dragons dragons <laughs> always wear shorts in the end. It's like it's like how it's like how the the remnants of the Hulk's pants just managed to stay on just enough to uh, to cover his modesty. You know, it's amazing how that yeah. happens. It's, you know, the, the power. Meanwhile, of the... abominations like a Kindle. <laughs> I'll let you. I'll let you tell him that. How about that? I, I'm not. I'm yeah, not going right? to. I'm not going to take that that particular cause, but yeah, looking looking forward to seeing that movie, and we're not too far away from that. It's coming out uh, Labor Day weekend, so uh, you know we're gonna you know the Marvel movies are coming fast and furious. No pun intended to the 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 car emoji series, but uh, <laughs> you know of course we've got Black Widow coming up this week, and of course uh, you can certainly join us to see Black Widow Thursday night at uh, seven o'clock at AMC Pensacola 18 with the Pensacola Movie Club. We'd love to see you there and talk about the movie and. 
see what you think of it. But that's when we're going to be checking it out. Looking forward to that. Uh, but, you know, then Shang-Chi coming out September, uh, The Eternals right behind that. And, of course, uh, last but not least, Spider-Man No Way Home coming out in December. And that mm. that movie, too, is going to be we're, we're going to get a lot of Wong this year. We're going to get a whole lot of Wong because if we're getting Wong in uh, in Shang-Chi, we know we're getting him in, in Spider-Man because that that's actually was also spoiled by a toy this week. Uh, the uh, the Lego set from uh, Spider-Man No Way Home of Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum was released, and it's got minifigures of Doctor Strange and Wong and Spider-Man and MJ. So we, we knew, we kind of knew that Doctor Strange was going to be in this movie already, and we knew it was going to lead into next year's Doctor Strange and the, and the Multiverse of Madness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so, yeah, a whole lot of Wong ahead in, in your schedules, folks. So I hope you like your Wong. That's great. That's great. I'm here for it. I, I actually really do like that character. He's he's starting to come into his own, and I imagine by the end of these movies, we're gonna he's gonna be like an old friend. Yeah. Well, I love the fact too that they cast an actor who's actually named Wong to play Wong. Benedict. <laughs> it makes it easy. Yeah, yeah Benedict Wong. So yeah, it's, of course, Doctor Strange is 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 the Benedict land. So. <laughs> it's a whole thing like you know it's just a whole thing another another whole thing i want to wanted to mention real quick uh i guess we're getting an interview with the vampire tv series so i'm excited about this julio apparently amc has greenlit a series that's going to be executive produced by ann rice's son i believe his name is chris but who cares am i right uh, anyways, uh <laughs> he's producing this series and i think amc puts out really quality content Generally I think the speaking. only reason they're calling it the Interview with the Vampire series is because of the brand recognition, because those are, that are familiar with Anne Rice's work, the Vampire Chronicles are actually the name of the overarching story. However, that doesn't have the same – like Vampire Chronicles is generic enough that it could be any vampire story. Uh, Interview with the Vampire has the specificity that immediately people are going to tie it back to that 1996 film yeah. that starred – Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, Antonio Banderas, Stephen Ree, uh, young Kirsten Dunst. Like, it was such a good movie, and it really wasn't a horror movie. It was like a drama set against this supernatural vampire backdrop. So I'm really excited about this, Julio. I, I grew up loving Anne Rice's novels. I love the fact that it's all set in New Orleans, which is kind of our uh, – always considered to be like our sister city with Pensacola. So uh, I definitely – a lot of my heart's over there in New Orleans, and – I'm excited. I just I, I think that it has a lot of potential. What about you? Well, I, I'm looking forward to it, and we'll, we'll see what comes out of it. We've got to take a break. Listen, let's go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. We've got Jeremy Branch on the line with us from the Movies Are Terrible channel on YouTube. And uh, it is time to do the part of the show that I think Jeremy and I most look forward to each week. And that is talk about the latest episode of Loki on Disney+. Plus. Uh, had to come back with that song because that was the song that wrapped this uh, this current episode, episode four of Loki. Uh, if you love me, really love me by Brenda Lee, and um, we'll get into the significance of that. I'm going to go ahead and 
just throw it up here big and bold right now because I don't think we can talk about this episode at all without spoiler warnings. There was a lot that happened in this episode, and uh, the, I I know we've got a lot to talk about. So, uh, just forewarning you now, the rest of the, the rest of today's episode of Let's Go Pensacola is going to get into spoilers for Loki episode four. If you haven't watched it yet or you don't want to be spoiled, uh, you know, keep your radio on. Maybe just turn your volume down because you know we'd we'd like to get the credit for you listening to the show. Uh, yeah, but uh, but you know um, we understand if you if you don't want to hear what we have to say about uh, about all the spoilerific things that happened in this episode. Uh, once again, uh, Jeremy, leaving uh, we won't start at the end, but the, we left last episode on a huge cliffhanger with it looking like uh, Loki and Lady Loki or Sylvie uh, had no way to escape uh, certain doom on the planet Lamentus that was uh, about to end. And uh, this episode, too, we, we end in uh, something that looks like it's uh, just there's no coming back from this, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, of course. But uh, first of all, what did you think about how they got out of the situation? Were you surprised that, uh, that the TVA tracked them down and pulled them out of there? Of course I'm not. No, they, they had to get away. They had to get away. Well, they that had to get away Loki some way. doesn't exist without it. Yes. But, so but, the, I, the way but that... here's my question, though. If the Lokis are, Lokis are bad and they want to exterminate the Lokis anyway, why would they have not just let them die? There's something... Three more episodes, dude. They're, they're, Three more episodes. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> above and beyond that, there's something going on with the TVA, and, I, and we'll get more into this later in the episode. Uh, so well, we okay, the end of the directly episode, to your point, that should really have been the first the clue. one shot. Yeah. Like that was super cool. The whole world getting destroyed was neat. And we think what happened specifically is that their, uh, relationships sort of solidifying created some sort of spike in the, the Nexus timeline or whatever it's called that basically they'd never seen it before. It was like a midichlorian spike on a, on a <laughs> scale that we have never experienced. So they zapped them out of there, and you're right. There, there's definitely some reason why they kept them alive, which isn't immediately clear, and I really like that. And then also simultaneously, or even before that, we're getting this uh, kind of flashback to Sylvie being abducted as a kid from Asgard, and we don't really know what her kind of time crime was. What did you think about that stuff? Yeah, I, I, Ravana knows something. That whole smirk that she had on her face when she claimed she didn't yes. remember. Yeah, she's lying. I don't think Ravana is telling us the truth about anything, really. Uh, yeah, she's I, got I, a villain name. Yeah. Uh, so, what what it is, I don't know. But she is she is up to no good, no no doubt. Now, do you believe that, as is being attributed, that Loki and Sylvie were falling in love with each other? Uh, yes, yes, I do. And it's funny that they use the word narcissist twice in the episode about yeah. Loki falling in love with with himself, which is. Which is great and technically true if what we see at this point is to be believed. It seems by all accounts that it actually is. But uh, also, through this love of quote-unquote himself, who is a completely different entity. I mean, Sylvie's life experience are so different from Loki's since they diverged on the timeline that their, their, their lived experience, the nurture part of their lives, is completely different. So Loki not only is learning self-love, but he's actually learning selflessness in a way that we haven't really seen Loki do before. So 
So, yeah, I do think they're falling in love. And I think that's a really interesting kind of philosophical conversation to be had about, you know, the character and what that means to him. So we, we, we see them get taken back to the Time Variance Authority and we see that they, you know, they've been separated and we get to see what happens to Loki. And they, they, they put him in this, uh, this cell, which basically makes him relive one of his worst, uh, worst experiences in his life, which in his case is over and over and over and over and over again, getting kneed in the groin by the Lady Sif. <laughs> Which, first of all, yeah. amazing to see Jamie Alexander back uh, playing playing Lady Sif because we got, haven't gotten to see her in a while. She, real world, she was busy with a little TV series that she had called The Blind Spot, mm. uh, which is has been good too because it means we didn't see her die in Ragnarok. We were like yeah. unlike a lot of the other characters, so she's still alive somewhere. We're going to get to see her again, and the rumor is she is going to be in Thor: Love and Thunder. Uh, so glad glad to see that. Uh, and and the particular scene too really takes off of actual Norse mythology and that she's uh, found that Loki cut her hair when she wasn't uh, I guess she was asleep or whatever which is something that's actually straight out of Norse mythology. So fun to see that too. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. But, but then there's I the, did find that out. I'm sorry, Leo. Go ahead. No, I, I just I don't want to us to not get to anything. You know, we because the the next big thing we have is. You know, Loki and Mobius going back and forth with Loki trying to tell him the truth of what's going on and Mobius not believing him because he's Loki. Uh, you know, I, I thought that was a great experience. But then seeing that Mobius was actually listening and him taking the step yeah. of switching uh, time pads with Ravana and, and finding out the truth. And then what I want to know is, when do you think he knew that and it was a shocking scene where Ravana just prunes him from the timeline and he's gone. Uh, I literally said something out loud that I can't repeat on the radio when that happened. And yes. uh, <laughs> yes, um, but going back and looking at it again, you can see in the way Owen Wilson's playing that he knows, he knows that he's he's dead meat and he's just trying to. There, there's a little bit of a final middle finger towards the TVA with his little speech yep. about I'm going to get on a jet ski, but, <laughs> and, uh, but then, you know, I, I don't know what his, I mean, I know kind of know what his strategy was, but he knew that he wasn't getting away. And then B-15 is also on her own kind of quest for truth. So there is revelations as an audience member, as well as everybody kind of starting to put together that they've been living this elaborate lie. And I have to imagine that, uh, that Moby has probably thought about it on his walk down one of those infinitely long corridors when he was by himself, and he's like, wait a second, what what incentive does Loki really have to lie in this way? I mean, obviously, he's the god of mischief, but he says the thing, you know, as a friend. So, like, they, they are starting to build a relationship, which made it even more shocking when Mobius gets, you know, kind of uh, zapped out of existence or pruned out of existence but that's not even the biggest reveal in this episode. Really. No, no. So we get that uh, we get both Lokis taken before the the timekeepers, the these all all knowing mystic beings that are responsible for the sacred plotline, and uh, we get them in there, and it's a cross between uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and the Hall of Presidents. It's like oh yeah, you know, the good call. It's yeah, these these, these very goofy looking looming figures. 
Uh, one of them looks like you know a green Lorax, and one of them looks like, <laughs> one of them looks a little bit like King the Conqueror. Not gonna lie, and there mm-hmm. may be something to that. We'll see. Uh, I don't want I don't want Kang to become the uh, Mephisto of this series, but yeah. but we'll we'll see. Um, so and then, you know there's a great battle scene where once again the Lokis don't have their magic, so they're having to use their fists because budgets. Uh, mm. <laughs> but uh, the the sequence ends with uh, Sylvie beheading the center timekeeper, and it turns out he's an audio, audio animatronic. He's uh, he's right off the It's a Small World ride. <laughs> so, you know, uh, and and the 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 other two timekeepers just kind of droop down like uh, powered down Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the 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 whatever the what was the name of the Chuck E. Cheese band? I remember the Showbiz Pizza was the the uh, the Pizza Time the Rock, of Fire, the Rock explosion. Fire Explosion. Yeah, and the other one was the Pizza Time or whatever it was. Anyway, it's just like when they got done singing and they all slump over. It's that kind of thing goes uh-huh. on. Uh huh. So it looks like uh, it looks like the the Lokis are on their way, and then our Loki uh, goes to Sylvie and starts to confess how he feels, and boom, gets stabbed in the back with uh, and and pruned from the timeline. And that was the second time I, I shouted out something that uh, I can't repeat on the radio uh, while watching this episode. And that's the end of the episode, except. For the first time in this in this series, we have a post credit scene or a mid credit scene, I guess I should say, uh, and that's the next big revelation that we've got here, is that at least Loki, we don't know for sure about other people, but at least when Loki gets zapped with that thing, he doesn't get killed, he gets sent to some kind of post apocalyptic New York, mm. where there are other Lokis, and we get to see four Lokis that welcome him to, to this place. Uh, First and foremost, the great character actor Richard E. Grant showing up in this as classic Loki, wearing the costume straight out of Marvel Comics. Looking cool, too, by the way. Uh, amazing. And then we have Kid Loki, <laughs> who is, has also been a prominent character in the comics. We have somebody who's credited as Boastful Loki. Uh, who and then is, my favorite. You know, well, let's, you know, let's mention that Boastful Loki apparently has Thor's hammer. So, mm-hmm. uh, so there's something going on there. And then last but not least... Uncredited in the uh, in the credits, unfortunately, alligator Loki. There is an alligator with a Loki with a Loki horn helmet, and he is apparently a Loki. So I cannot wait to see what uh, what's going to come of that, and we will get to see that on on Wednesday when the next episode drops. Jeremy, we are unfortunately out of time. Uh, ironically, talking about a time travel series, uh, but thank you so much for being here. We will be back next week with a whole lot more, and definitely talking about Loki and Black Widow next weekend. Uh, please listen. You'll be listening to us on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620.